The major labels are facing a perilous battle for market share. Here's how they might fight back. My name is Tim Ingham, the founder of Music Business Worldwide, and welcome to Talking Trends, where we dive behind the headlines to look at what's really going on in today's music industry. Talking Trends is supported by Volley Music. Volley is a financial management platform that helps professionals working in music, be that in live management, publishing or labels, to seamlessly manage budgets and forecasts, as well as tracking expenses, sorting invoices and payments and much more. For your free trial, go over and check out volleymusic.com. That's V-O-L-Y music.com. So, a couple of months ago, Music Business Worldwide published a stat that caused quite a stir. That stat, which was derived from Spotify's own data, showed that nearly 80% of artists, 80% of artists available on Spotify today, have fewer than 50-50 monthly listeners. And I made the claim, disputed by some in that article, that if you've got fewer than 50 monthly listeners on Spotify, you can almost certainly be categorised as a musical hobbyist. But subsequent to publishing that story, I had a meeting with the founder of one of the world's biggest distribution and services companies for independent artists, and they helped give me a new perspective. We're going to have to do a brief calculation here, so bear with me. The actual number of artists on Spotify at the end of 2021 with fewer than 50 monthly listeners was, according to my calculations, 6.3 million. 6.3 million artists. Now, let's assume for the sake of this podcast that all of those monthly listeners across all of those 6.3 million artists was unique. In other words, those monthly listeners were unique to each artist and didn't listen to any of the other artists in the 6.3 million group. This is not a crazy idea. In the grand scheme of things, remember, each of these artists is by nature statistically unpopular. The idea that you'd listen to two of them in a single session or a single month would be logically quite unlikely. So 6.3 million artists, and remember, they each have fewer than 50 monthly listeners. We know that for a fact. We don't know what the mean average is of their audiences, but for argument's sake, let's split the difference and assume that each of these artists has an average of 25 monthly listeners. That's really not a lot, by the way. If you made a piece of music today and uploaded it, I bet across your social media channels and your friends and your family and the dog, you could probably get to a bigger number than 25 people pressing play. Don't forget, one of the people pressing play is in fact the artist themselves. So 6.3 million artists, all with a rather measly looking 25 unique listeners each month on Spotify. Combined, those artists would therefore have a total of 157.5 million monthly listeners. So that's all of these hobbyist artists, 6.3 million of them with 25 monthly listeners each equals a total, so long as those monthly listeners are unique, of 157.5 million monthly listeners when all added up together. And this number is really quite significant in the context of a threat to the major record companies. 
Because if you look at the list of the biggest artists in the world today on Spotify, you will find Ed Sheeran at the top, just ahead of Justin Bieber and The Weeknd. And currently, Ed Sheeran, as of the time I'm recording this, has 83.6 million monthly listeners on Spotify. That's roughly half the size of the estimated cumulative listening base of our 6.3 million artists with fewer than 50 monthly listeners each. Or to put it in much simpler terms, unpopular, largely forgotten artists on Spotify in the grand scheme of things are commercially irrelevant as individuals, but combined, they are a powerful force. So, Getting back to the topic of this podcast, all of this is really not good news for the major record companies. We know that according to Daniel Ek, around 60,000, 60,000 tracks were uploaded to Spotify daily, and that was in Q1 last year, over a year ago, in fact. And some say that number is growing exponentially. It could be up to 70,000 or even 80,000 as time is moving on. This phenomenon cannot help but eat into the market share of the major record companies on streaming services because those major record companies simply aren't distributing the majority of these tracks. And think about what that is doing to the actual number of plays on Spotify. We've already discussed the fact that verifiably unpopular artists on Spotify, those 6.3 million, are cumulatively drawing more streams than Ed Sheeran or The Weeknd globally. So what happens when you then throw in independent artists with, let's say, between a thousand and a million monthly listeners on Spotify? And there's a hell of a lot of them. What happens to the major labels market share then? Well, we already know the answer to that question. Spotify in its annual financial report puts a number on the percentage of streams of recorded music that's distributed by the three major record companies plus Merlin, which if you didn't know represents some leading independent labels and distributors worldwide. And the three majors, if you needed telling, are Universal Music, Sony Music and Warner Music. So this market share number, remember, of the three majors plus Merlin, what they distribute on Spotify has been falling substantially although that decline actually slowed slightly last year. Still, in 2017, these four entities, the majors plus Merlin, claimed 87% of all Spotify streams. So music they distributed made up 87% of all plays on Spotify. Last year, in 2021, these four groups claimed a cumulative total of 77%. That's a loss of 10% of global streaming market share in just four years. 10% of global streaming market share on Spotify lost by the majors plus Merlin in just four years. Alarm bells have got to be ringing about these statistics. At this point, it's interesting to bring in the comments of Rob Stringer, the chairman of Sony Music Group, who was quizzed on streaming market share more generally by an analyst on a Sony financial presentation last week. Stringer pointed to the trend of these vast oceans of music being released by independent artists on streaming services each day and how Sony Music has developed a sort of defensive strategy, if you like, of distributing as much of this music as it can while maintaining a threshold of quality in the marketplace. In other words, Sony will distribute quality music released by independent labels via The Orchard, a Sony subsidiary, and it will distribute quality music by independent artists via AWOL, which it acquired last year. 
But as Rob Stringer puts it, Sony isn't in business with the quote flotsam and jetsam, close quote, aka I guess he's talking about the kind of unpopular music that attracts less than 50 monthly listeners. Let's just listen to Rob Stringer's comments from last week here before we analyse them more fully. If there are 80,000 tracks a day being uploaded on major DSPs, then market share is going to be diluted by default. And the reason we have strong strategy in the orchard and our recent acquisition of AWOL is to take a proportion of that 80,000, have a bigger proportion of the net that's being cast for content. If you look at the orchard, it has 27,000 labels being distributed by the orchard globally. So at the, at the scale end, we realize we have to cast our nets deeper and deeper and somehow get that music in our ecosystem. Because otherwise, literally, market share will be diluted by default of the sheer volume of tracks, even quite frankly, if it's literally like Flotsam and Jetsam, and it's just stuff that's taking up some of the market share because of scale. Now, for the major record companies, their dominance of streaming market share isn't just important in terms of their revenue share. Crucially, it also affects their leverage when they're renegotiating their licensing agreements with Spotify or Apple or Amazon and other music streaming platforms or owners. The smaller the major's cumulative market share as they go into these licensing negotiations every few years, the less power they have. And the continued gradual erosion of the majors market share in the future looks inevitable when you digest the data. And we're not even taking into account here, by the way, whether Spotify is actually commercially incentivized to drive listeners to non-major label music in order to deliberately weaken the majors negotiating ability in those licensing discussions. Rob Stringer says that Sony currently distributes music from 27,000 independent labels through the orchard, and that's a stat with real punch. Then there are an additional clutch of independent artists, perhaps tens of thousands, likely hundreds of thousands, who also go through AWOL. But both of these services, the orchard and AWOL, are invite only. Artists or labels can't just decide to upload music themselves and automatically get their records on streaming services. They have to be chosen and approved first. And we've just seen Universal Music Group mirror this model by pivoting away from DIY distribution with its AWOL rival SpinUp. You now can't just upload music via SpinUp and see it on Spotify. You have to be accepted of being of a certain quality first. So both Sony and Universal are following a strategy that even at the bottom of the market, if you like, even at the DIY independent artist level, you can't just upload your music through their services. You have to be accepted. You have to be filtered. You have to be of a certain quality. Important word for what I'll come on to later. Quality. Meanwhile, those services who do let anyone upload anything to Spotify et al. are building immense scale. Take DistroKid, for example. According to its press materials, recent press materials anyway, DistroKid currently distributes music for over 2 million artists and it claims that it distributes, get this, between 30% and 40% of all new music today. It pretty much claims that it is distributing by volume over a third of all new music today. 
none of the major record companies can compete with that vastness of volume. And that vastness of volume is inevitably going to keep driving down the majors market share on the likes of Spotify. Even if much of DistroKid's music is quote unquote flotsam and jetsam, I don't know if it is or not, but let's just say for argument's sake that much of it or the majority of it is Every single listener that that Flotsam and Jetsam attracts on Spotify and other services is a wound in the major record company's mission to maintain immense market share dominance of streaming. So how can we expect the majors to fight back against this powerful tide? Because they surely, surely will. In Spotify's model as it exists today, every piece of recorded music in the world is worth the same. It doesn't matter if we're talking about Bohemian Rhapsody or 99 Problems or some tuneless dirge I just knocked up on an acoustic guitar or even a large man doing an elongated burp. If you play it for more than 30 seconds, it gets the same amount of royalty payment as any other track on Spotify that month. I expect the major labels to take strong issue with this fact soon enough because right now they're in a bind. On the one hand, as Rob Stringer explains, they're trying to play a bit of the volume game and get into bed with as much quality, again, important word, quality music as possible. But on the other hand, they're refusing to open their gates to the flotsam and jetsam. Indeed, in the case of Universal and Spin Up, they are now actively turning away from it. The quality threshold remains all important at the majors. This business model can only triumph long term if streaming companies start acknowledging that quality music, and we'll get into what that might mean soon, is deserving of a higher rate of royalty payment than Flotsam and Jetsam. In other words, will Spotify agree that not all music is worth the same, or that a play of Bohemian Rhapsody is intrinsically worth more than a play of a large man's elongated burp? Defining the parameters of what constitutes premium music versus flotsam and jetsam is going to be fun. Music by its nature is subjective. You might think a certain track or album is complete dreck. Uh, I might think it's celestial and vice versa. That's kind of what part of what makes the industry so much fun. But I suspect the majors may at least start asking the following questions of Spotify in future licensing negotiations. How many subscribers were drawn to your service because of the superstars we licensed to you? How many people decided to pay for Spotify because of Dua Lipa or Eminem or Ed Sheeran or Bad Bunny, etc.? In that respect, aren't these artists and their music the most powerful audience acquisition tools at your disposal? Is there data that supports the idea that established stars, not Flotsam and Jetsam, more powerfully influence people to pay Spotify money every month for the rest of their lives. And therefore, doesn't the music of these established stars deserve to accrue a premium versus your average Joe with fewer than 50 monthly listeners? Lest we forget that the other week I was on this very podcast telling music business worldwide listeners that I had seen an app, Soundful, that can create studio quality music via machine learning at the touch of a button and every single one of those tracks is original. There's no reason technology like this won't soon be able to create millions of tracks a day at the touch of a button and then upload all of them to Spotify within seconds. 
Imagine the threat that kind of tidal wave of music hitting services daily brings to the major record companies and their need to dominate market share on Spotify and other services. So if the majors are going to take the argument to Spotify that some music simply deserves more financial respect than other music, they are surely compelled to do so sooner rather than later. Music Business Worldwide's Talking Trends will be back next week with more insight into today's global music industry. Uh, thank you to our Talking Trends sponsor, Volley Music. Check out what they do and how they can help your business at volymusic.com, volleymusic.com. And if you like this episode, please subscribe to Music Business Worldwide's podcasts by searching for Music Business Worldwide on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen. We appreciate you spending your time with us. 